It's time for Humans in Tune with Darren Bergfeld on 93.9 The River. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And yes, it is time for Humans in Tune segment I am very excited about today. Uh, very proud to have uh, someone in the studio. Well, via Zoom. We're meeting via Zoom today. And in the studio today, I welcome Janine Maxwell. She is author and co-founder of Heart for Africa. She's written several books. The most recent book being Hope Lives Here. Uh, of which, and I'll tell you how good this book is. I got my copy yesterday afternoon, and I'm halfway through this book already. So it's excellent, and we're going to talk about it today. Janine, welcome, and thanks for joining me. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. You bet. You know, for those who who aren't familiar with you, you know, we've been talking about this a little bit during this week about, you know, what we're going to talk about uh, and what you've done in your life as far as bringing things together for Heart for Africa. I'd just like to kind of give everybody the little elevator pitch as to you know who you are introducing heart for africa and kind of that mission founding the early days of what you've done sure well it's interesting because this all started on september 11th and you know we're coming up to that 20-year anniversary so the timing is really Mm -hmm. perfect for this new book to come out but heart for africa is a faith-based charity and we focus in the country of eswatini africa which used to be called swaziland and our acronym is hope we want to bring hope to the kingdom of eswatini in the areas of hunger, orphans, poverty, and education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in th- those four areas, it's not just a clever acronym, kids. Hunger, orphans, poverty, and education. You're doing work on this every day. And the, the work that you do now, for those who see it in its, in its whole entity now with Project Canaan and where you're at, it is a huge, a huge undertaking, a huge undertaking. You do a lot of employing of, of people locally there, as well as people who have been long-term volunteers from the U.S. and everything else. The growth of the organization, you mentioned, again, you know, this all kind of started 9-11, and here we are now nearly 20 years later, and uh, the the organization has grown. But this all started, you kind of wanted to, your heart was changed, and you wanted to do something for these children in Africa. And it sounds like an oversimplification of everything, but, um, you know, you've kind of, chronicled this vivid clear picture of your work through your blog as things grew uh and through the website for heart for africa but it all started with just a mission to do good for these kids to to help change the world and which is again an oversimplification but you know you guys came with this this mission um can you speak a little bit to how you know how you turned the key how how you decided let's fire this off you know there were some several things that were kind of important that God kind of put in place to make things happen, to make the wheels turn, to be able to do things. Uh, but what do you think was the big turn moment for you? Well, I think, you know, uh, a million dollar donation was certainly a big thing because we found this land in Swaziland. I'll call it Swaziland because it's easier. Sure. We found the piece of land. It was 2,500 acres. It was bush. There were no roads, no electricity, no water, no buildings, nothing. And it was a million U.S. dollars. So really the turning point for us was when we met this man in Alfreda, Georgia, who we'd never met before. And he starts telling us about a vision that the Lord has given him. And he's describing this land. He says, you know, there's there's a dairy and there's there's an orphanage and we're growing food and and this is the vision the Lord has given me. And so my husband says, Hey, wait a second, you know, that's the same vision we've been having, but it's we need a million dollars. And this guy wrote a personal check for a million dollars. So that was definitely a turning point. That's that's incredible. Yeah, and that and that just shows kind of the the Lord's serendipity of laying things where they need to be to happen. And it's all his money. It is. All his money. Yeah. And when you talk about, you know, this land in Africa, you know, guys don't think about the lion King. Don't be picturing in your head. Like, <laughs> you know, this, like 
if you've ever had to clear land in a backyard in Swamp East Missouri and deal with briars and brush, that is the easy mode of clearing this land in Africa. <laughs> we got snakes, man. We got snakes. snakes. Deadly snakes. Deadlier than, than anything we're running against. And, of course, you know, amidst all that, uh, just the, the essentials of getting the materials you need. And, and I think one of the most beautiful things about Project Canaan is how much of it you've been able to make self-sufficient in order to provide for the people that are working there, the kids that are there in school and, and all of your staff and all of your volunteers. Uh, the self-sufficiency is amazing, but all that comes together because of all the people that uh, help to make it happen, right? That's right. That's right. And we have mm-hmm. a dairy. So we, we actually do have our own cows. So, uh, well, I should go back and tell you that my husband and I are parents to 295 Swazi children. Yeah. And eldest is 10 years old, a set of twins, and the youngest is about five days old. So when you talk about sustainability, it's not just being able to provide employment for more than 300 people, but we have a lot of mouths to literally feed. Absolutely. And we have 5,000 laying hens as well. Yeah. And that, and that's incredible. And in the book, you know, you speak to some of the more of the logistics of the side of the farm as to, you know, not only are you able to provide for the babies that are that are there and the children that are there and the staff that are there, but you're able to sell that out to help sustain the farm financially as well uh, throughout the community, throughout the nation, really, um, as far as exporting those things. Now, again, you know, the farm itself is is a huge undertaking of work, but the kids, uh, you know, you mentioned 297 babies and um, I, I, a lot of this, you know, we could go we could go way into the weeds and talk about the kids all day. But a lot of that is what drew me to Heart for Africa initially was just the sheer effort of you saving lives literally saving lives babies who uh, are found in dire situations you know left on the side of the road in a bag or dumped in a pit latrine and and these are literal real circumstances that are happening in east watini and swaziland and you were able to and and it is a sad situation not every baby is able to be saved but you have through heart for africa and through project canaan been able to save so many lives and i realistically give east watini a future uh, right. through these kids you're raising and a lot of a lot of that's been through people from Cape Girardeau and Missouri. I mean, I went to school at Evangel in, in Springfield. And so, you know, love our friends from Missouri, but it, it takes a village to raise a child. And it certainly mm-hmm. takes a very large village to raise 295 there, plus our biological children, which, you know, we don't accept donations from them. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And that says it, it takes a village to raise a child. And it takes a city to raise a village. And, and you've really created that over there. And. Uh, again, the, you mentioned Cape, you know, the support here. And that was kind of my early involvement was to getting to know those supporters and how, you know, somebody who could feel a call in their heart to say, you know what, I'm going to go over there. Uh, Kenny and Amber Van Winkle were church mates of mine, and they made the decision to come be a long term volunteer. They and, live there. And they, they live there. for Eight years. Yeah. And Kenny, yeah. and for those who don't know him, Kenny's a big old dude like me, and he's tatted up and he's, you know, he looks hardcore, but he's got a big old bare heart. But he's over there. <laughs> You know, killing deadly snakes and playing with toddlers and living the life. And they have such a a wonderful existence, um, but they're creating the future. That's right. They're serving the Lord. And Amber's our head teacher. And Kenny's in there right there with her, you know, doing Bible class. And they're just an absolutely amazing couple. And I know a lot of people in Cape support them. And Mm -hmm. we thank them for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is an ongoing mission and a growing mission and a successful mission. I mean, you have your you definitely have your your downsides, the things you have to deal with. And you address a a lot of that in the book uh, as well, as far as, you know, betrayals that you've had to deal with and and sadnesses and losses. A drought. Do we need to talk about drought? It uh, it decimated um, Swaziland and, and left you guys with, you know, empty reservoirs and at a point where, you know, can you continue um yet god provides right 
you can't live without water. You know, mm-hmm. water is, and we have people say to us, you know, from the West or from America say, well, just go to town and buy water. And I'm like, well, you have, you know, we had a couple hundred kids at the time and uh, you can't buy bottled water just to bathe. And we got to a place where we were literally, you know, your listeners probably don't need to hear this, but we were showering every <laughs> second day because there was a water shortage. That's all right. And we got listeners that only shower every three or four days. So we're okay there. Well, we'll have to check with Kenny on his situation, but you know, yeah. <laughs> last when I get back. But, but when yeah, you're talking water's life, water's life. Yeah. And, and when you've got, you know, hundreds of babies and, and clothes to wash and diapers to wash and things to keep clean, to keep the place sanitary, it takes a lot of water and a lot of work. And, uh, well, you know, we change 500 diapers every single day. And we've also had people say, well, why don't you use, um, you know, ones that you wash? And I'm like, no, you don't want to be washing cooties out of diapers and hoping yeah. to not spread to the next kid. And we don't have water. So disposable has actually ended up being a much better solution for us, but it's mm-hmm. a lot of diapers every day. So, you know, you fought drought, you've had to fight political unrest. Uh, and of course, just the things that come with the everyday life that you've got to deal with over there. I mean, what is it that, that allows you to be able to overcome these adversities, to be able to, to continue this mission? Um, you know, I'm sure you have been tried and you felt it on your heart. Like I, I just got to stop. I'm going to explode. You know, what keeps you driving? Well, it's really, you know, Ian and I have an expression that you just have to get up in the morning to make a difference in Swaziland. And and that's really, you know, in other countries in Africa that we've served. And I never felt that when I lived in the U.S. or in Canada, that if I got out of bed, I could really make a difference in people's lives. But there, I just need to get out of bed, answer my phone, and I can go and pick up a baby who's been dumped in an outhouse or pit latrine. They've been left on the side of the road. I mean, I can literally save a life just by getting in my car and driving. Yeah. And so, and, and of course, my faith, you know, without Jesus, I couldn't do it. And you wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. It'd be oh. too hard. Yeah. No, no one could carry this alone. And not, not even a superhero like Janine, boys and girls. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, you've got your partner in crime, Ian, to, to help make everything happen. But you have such a wonderful staff. I've been fortunate to meet some of them, get to know them. Uh, truly people who are working with some of the biggest hearts in the world, uh, doing this work day in, day out. For sure. Yeah. Got to have a big heart and it has to be bottomless because, you know, you can't just when we are betrayed or when we get hurt or when someone steals or something, you can't say, oh, well, they're going to steal from me. You know, we're living in a country that that has abject poverty. Mm-hmm. There's going to be that. And that's a big perspective thing, I think, for a lot of folks. And I would encourage you, uh, you know, before you even get into the book to head to the website, heartforafrica.org. Uh, read up on the website, find them on social media as well. But, uh, you know, when we're talking about abject poverty, we're not talking about, you know, when we think of poverty, most of us think about, man, I don't, I don't have, I'm homeless or, um, you know, my electricity has been shut off or anything. We're talking about folks who, who don't have other than dirt to sleep on or, you know, they're at the brink of starvation near death. Um, yeah, and their houses are made of mud and sticks that are put together. And then there's grass on the top and they sleep on mud. And that's the normal Swazi homestead and they they haven't had food. I mean, it's a real problem to get food in the country right now. Mm -hmm. Any kind of food, not just like they they have no refrigerator. It's not like their refrigerator is empty. Their cupboards are empty. There's no fridge. Yeah. And, you know, me as a a farmer by heart and us as an agriculture community, we think of, you know, hey, we farm to table as much as we can. And I think that's why what you've done with Project Keenan and the ability to sustain there is so important because you're able to, you know, continue to provide through and overcome just one part of the HOPE acronym there, but, you know, getting uh, getting them fed, getting them hungry, getting the hungry kids fed and the families fed and, and taking care of people. Yeah. If you can't eat and if you don't have water to drink, nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Nobody wants to hear about anything else. And kids can't get educated. Look at all the money that's spent in the U.S. on, you know, breakfast programs. 
Yeah. And if, if you're not well fed, if you don't have a balance, some sort of balance in your diet, you can't learn. Yep, absolutely. It's Janine Maxwell. She is the author of Hope Lives Here. It's a fantastic new book. I encourage you to go to heartforafrica.org and learn more about it. We're going to talk a little bit more later because uh, in addition to just helping the kids and working on poverty and more, they're empowering people there, you know, locally to be able to change their lives and change their country for good. So doing some wonderful work. Janine, we're going to come back and talk a little bit later. If you're heading to the Facebook, join us on Facebook Live. We continue the conversation over there at facebook.com slash 939river. And you can tune in with us there. We're going to keep the music rolling. Got some Queen coming up because, Janine, you're a Queen fan, I understand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we got we have to give a little bit of Queen, so a little bit of somebody to love on 93.9 The River. More of the greatest hits of all time, and we'll be back with Janine Maxwell in just a little bit on The River. Awesome. All right. You know, I thought it was interesting. You know, I've always been a Queen fan since I was a kid, and Freddie Mercury was my idol. And then to learn, you know, as an adult, that he was one of the very early people to die of AIDS. Uh-huh. And, and we didn't know that really, uh, really until the movie came out, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, that we sort of alluded to it. Right. And, uh, you know, that, and, and that's such a big part of my world now in Africa is the HIV AIDS pandemic. And we still have the highest HIV rate in the world in our tiny little country. And that's, that's hard for me to fathom because you think of geographically how small it is. And yet because of, the way things are just just traditions and and political setup and hierarchies of men over women and everything else of how just drastic it is yeah yeah and it's not you know it's it's not men with men it's it's uh young girls being you know abused it's polygamy it's you know a man has six or eight mm-hmm. wives and he's spreading it through them so it's it's a different situation there than it is in north america yeah and i think some of it too is you know in the early days of aids Freddie Mercury are, are, you know, the insinuation was, well, it's, he's a homosexual. That's God's punishment. He's given him AIDS. And that's obviously not the case. And when I think about it with, with Swaziland, I, the first thing that comes to mind to me is about the young ladies who are raped are, are, you know, the polygamy and everything else that goes on and how rampant that is. And, and in the book, you know, you go into some detail about, you know, like the, the guys that would leave and go work in the mine for 11 months and leave a family behind that's just the mom's sick and then she dies and you know you you have a a term for the orphans and i kind of half smile a little bit because our ncaa conference here is the ohio valley conference which is the ovc so when i saw the acronym ovc in your book i was like oh oh, oh, oh. yes so when we when, if i mention ovc semo fans or ohio valley conference fans we're not talking sports now we're talking about OVC in and your friend is uh what's what's OVC orphans and vulnerable children and vulnerable children thank you and more than half of our total population in the country are orphans and vulnerable children yeah and let that let it let that ruminate for just a second half of the country's population yeah. okay orphans, vulnerable children yeah. and and we have maybe more than fifteen thousand orphan headed households there's another one that you don't use here O H H an orphan-headed household is a homestead that is the oldest person is under 18 years old, and they're raising their younger brothers and sisters because the parents have died or run away or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and this is... Yeah, and 15,000 of those. It's unfathomable. That's, that's, that's what it, yeah, that's what it comes down to. And, 
you, you almost feel sick. You almost feel guilty for thinking of it as that way. It's like, how dare I, you know, put a massive number on this kind of human life and this kind of tragedy for human life. But that's what it is. That's the statistics of it. X thousand people died on September 11th in the, in the attacks. We have a statistical number. Each of those is a human life. We have monuments with their names engraved on them. We have all these things. And then over in Swaziland, maybe uh, six months later, they found the bones. You know, uh, there's no memorial for all of these lives that are lost. Um, yeah, we had, yeah, we, I, don't know if you, I don't know if I should tell the story, but it says we're on Facebook Live. I'm like, there was a child that was placed with us through social welfare a couple of years ago, and uh, the mother was being arrested because when they went to find, someone had told them the story um, that she used to have another child, but the child had disappeared. Was this the four-year-old? This is the four, yeah, this is a, this one isn't in my book. Okay. So oh. I didn't want to tell because I thought there was a little bit of sense to put in writing. But they ended up finding the baby. Oh, maybe I did write. <laughs> but they found the sibling in the pit latrine and they found the bones and they brought the bones up and that was why that's what I was alluding to yeah because yeah. I, I think that might have been the last chapter I read there um, yeah and it's just, just that no one even knew no one knew that the little girl was missing no one knew you know until a year or two later they reported it and then they find the bone mm-hmm. heartbreaking something else uh, is birth certificates yeah. you know a lot of people and this is Here's my white guy from Missouri thing. Well, why aren't y'all helping kids here? And, and, you know, that you'll hear that argument. Here's the thing is that, you know, we have programs in our schools. Uh, my kids go to school with kids. 80% of the kids in, in my kids' grade school were on, um, you know, state assistance for nutrition services. We have great programs in the states. East Watini is not without programs socially. However, if you don't have a birth certificate, you have no state, you have no existence according to the country, right? So you go to school. If you don't have a birth certificate, you can't go to school. And if you don't don't go to school, you don't get fed because because of those high numbers that you've just been talking about, most of the children of the country only get fed when they go to school, and they only get fed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday because international aid has sent food to the country to be able to feed those children. And they leave them, they send them out on Fridays at noontime so they can stretch the food. Mm-hmm. But COVID-19, you know, it's still a thing. And in Eswatini, we're just hitting our third wave. And our schools have been closed since March 2020 because of COVID-19. And so all of those children, forget the education side and all the things that have been lost there and what's happening at home. But you also have a bunch of kids who haven't been eating at their, at their usual school feeding program. Right. For more than a year. Mm-hmm. And these are the ones that are fortunate enough to have it. Right. Right. Um, Those are the ones that go to school in the first place. Right. And, you know, something else you touch on is it, there's requirements for school. They've, you know, school uniform requirements, things like that, that have to be done too. And it's cultural, right? A lot of that is cultural. Um, and it, a majority of the kids, you know, they, they, they're lucky to have a shoe, you know, they have new shoes for school and things. It's impossible. Yeah, we have a 70% unemployment rate. So when you think about that, you know, back in the Great Depression in the U.S., it was maybe 23 24%. And it was, a, it was you know, critical. We're at 70%. So my parents just don't have jobs. And that's why Project Canyon is so important that we employ so many people. Because those 320 people who are working can actually pay the school fees. They can buy those black shoes that the, school, that the kids need and make sure that their children are being fed and in school. It's a big deal. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, education is incredibly important. Um, you know, you guys, again, can you name her? Cheers to you guys. 
Maybe they'll watch this later. I don't know. But anyway, I hope so too. Michigan. They will. They will. Yeah. They will. They might be watching now. Yeah. Who knows? Um, if they are, they have a comment. But cheers to Chloe for tagging them anyway. Um, but you know, beyond the kids, of course, you're also educating the community. I mean, you've got you know a lot of adults who can't read, can't write. Um, you talk. We talked about food programs and so forth. You've partnered with Feed My Starving Children, um, and I think you said thirty something partner churches that you're. Doing distribution. Most rural communities, yeah. Mm-hmm. And those, we teach 4,500 kids every single week in those rural communities. Yeah. And that's huge. I mean, that's those meal packs are built to get them the proteins they need. You're making the, you know, you're able to make an impact, make an actual difference. But one of the logistics that you run into is your distribution system. A lot of those folks can't read, can't write. So it's hard for you to track, you know, and get a, an ROI in the marketing world, a return on the investment of. You know, how many kids are being affected? How well are they doing? Are they healthier? Are they better because of what we're doing? Or are things not going the right way? So how do you manage something like that? I mean, that would be like if I trained all my cats to go check my mail and wash my car or something, you know, and get up there and do it. Might, might work better. Um, but what we did is last year, actually, the beginning of 2020, January, long before we knew about this global pandemic, we had a team of people who went out and did well child checks at all the church partners because we've been feeding these children for 10 years. So, you know, some of the children who were 10 should be 20 and they should be technically out of the program. But we thought, let's go out and actually do height, weight, you know, head circumference and, and kind of see where we are from a stunting perspective and how, because even if the children have food, they can also still be very small. Sure. I'll tell you, I was really disappointed. We were all really disappointed at the level of malnutrition and starvation that we were finding in our churches. So, so, but a lot of the churches only feed on Sundays or they might just feed Friday, Saturday, Sunday because they know the kids are being fed at school. So we implemented at the beginning of last year are we uh, initiated our hunger initiative, which was to start feeding those kids seven days a week. And then, boom, the pandemic hits. Schools are closed. So even though we, you know, the Lord told us in advance, we didn't know why. But right. all of a sudden, starting to raise money and trying to find more food, you know, which was difficult because Feed My Starving Children had to cut back because of their volunteer shortage. But um, we're now feeding seven days a week in most of our 30 churches. And not only that, but we're up to the, from 3,500 to 4,500 just in the last year. And that's every single week. Mm-hmm. And again, I think, you know, being able to take control of that and having some level of ownership of that and, you know, being able to follow up and make sure that things are done the right way. And you've been able to improve on that program and expand it. We're trying. We're trying. It is like uh, yeah, pushing water uphill. But we know the kids are being fed. We do random checks as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been in, in partnership with these pastors for a long time. So they see the value. And they know that they've been saving lives because they've been cooking these meals for, you know, we deliver the dry food packs and they have to do the work of cooking them. So they're doing a great job. And they see it from, from every, every bit of the aspect of the process from you guys all the way through, they get to see, you know, the happy faces that are fed faces and so forth. You know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Some of those pastors will be watching this. If they, even if they're not watching it live, they are on Facebook. So I know some of them will be watching this, which will be really encouraging for them. Yeah. And, and, you know, from, Hi, weird third party guy from the U.S. You guys are doing an awesome job. Please don't stop. Um, yeah. you know, and of course the inevitable question is, you know, COVID's affected everything. Hi, we're here. We've, I, I learned how to DJ from the house, pants optional. You know, the world changed for us over here, but, um, you know, how has that affected Heart for Africa? How has that affected Project Canaan? 
Well, Project Canaan on the ground, we, we've had, uh, the country is actually very strict laws, you know, mask mandates for the last 18 months. Um, the borders were closed for eight months, so no one could go to South Africa. We couldn't leave for break. Kenny and Amber, our other volunteers, were really stuck on the mountain. And it became very oppressive after a while, you know, not being able to get out to get some mental health stuff. So, you know, sure. I've been in the country in the U.S. for about a month, and I've been talking a lot about mental health. But, you know, a lot of people are dying. Right now, the hospitals, we're in our third wave, and um, they're, the hospitals are full overflowing again. Uh, we had one of the hospitals nearby us had 108 people admitted to their ICU in one day two weeks ago. A lot of deaths. We lost our prime minister died in December, lost two members of parliament. So it's hard because we don't, the hospitals don't have medication. The hospitals don't have oxygen. We don't have any of the the things that are saving lives here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, we, you know, I told my husband today that 15 people died yesterday and he said, but that's the recorded deaths. How many people are dying at home in their mud hut because they just can't get to a hospital? Yeah. It's hard and schools are still closed and the country is just broken and broken hearted. I think, you know, and I think that's a, a way to look at it is as it being broken, because, yeah, when you get to a point, you don't want to call it hopelessness, but when you get to a point where you're like, we just have to park people until they die, you know, right. at the hospitals, that that is a Leave them at home because they, you can't get them. You can't get in a vehicle to get them to the hospital. So you just put them in another one of the empty huts where other people have died and they just die there and then you mm. just bury them. And there's no statistic that records that. No, that's just. That's just reality. We as in the country, the adults know, or the people who are trying to help know, because there now there's all of a sudden eight more children who show up at a church because there's no parent. And then you go, oh, where is your parent? Where's the grandmother who was caring for you? Oh, well, she died. Mm -hmm. And then the statistic really shows up because it's an an orphan statistic, not a COVID death statistic. One of the things, uh, as I read through the book, that kind of kind of snared my mind and we think about, you know, here we're before we went on, we were talking about my daughter turns 13 tomorrow. My son just turned 10 this year. And of course, the earliest kids are hitting that same stage. And we're talking about, you know, we're getting ready. Uh, you guys will be gearing up for your first high school graduation in 2029. And those are all positive things we're thinking about as we move, you know, as you move forward uh, with what's going on with the students and so forth. But um, when it comes to, you know, that educational process, um, we're, you know, we age up, everybody's getting a little bit older. So a lot of your early volunteers, um, and the go-go's, I believe is what the grandmas are called. You know, you talked about how a lot of those in the community as the AIDS took out more or less, I guess, my generation and, and, you know, that, that age group of people as more and more of them have died from the AIDS epidemics and so forth. And more and more orphans have created it always fell on the grandmas to take care of these kids, but right. that generation isn't there so much anymore. That's right. And, um, you know, and that's, that's creating a whole new problem in and of itself. So, well, you kind of, I think it was something like, uh, that it's, it's a little threadbare because that tapestry that has always been there to, you know, safety net, take care of the kids, the orphans. Um, there's just not as many threads in the blanket anymore. Yeah, it's like the mosaic of the, the grandmothers, particularly, but the grandparents were the mosaic that was holding the society together, holding the culture together. And they're just disappearing. And, and unfortunately, you know, we've had a lot of civil unrest lately. And it was predicted 10 years ago, we were sitting in the office of one of the, a very high ranking official in the government. And he said to us, you know, Ian and Janine, my greatest fear is that in 10 years from now, 
the children who are orphaned now will be 10 years older. They'll be young, you know, late teenagers, young adults, and they're going to be uneducated. They're going to be poor. They're going to be hungry and they're going to be angry. And he said, that is my greatest fear. And that's really what the country is facing right now. Aside from global pandemic and TB and HIV, we now have civil unrest with a, a group of young people who are angry and hungry. And, you know, really probably have zero sense of nationalism because their country has done nothing to give them a reason to care about it, you know? And they may not have birth certificates. They may not be able to get a passport. They may not be able to leave and maybe try to find something somewhere else. Yeah, very true. Um, it's heartbreaking. And it is hopelessness. That is what we see when I look into the eyes of so many Swazis. I didn't know what hopelessness looked like, um, but I but I do now. I know exactly what it mm-hmm. looks like from the eyes of a Swazi. And it's it's hard for, you know, what what do you do at that point other than, you know, Pray with them, but you'd try to give them any kind of semblance of hope is just really well, the work you're doing. I guess you can just you can hope that they see there's hope for the future because of what you're doing with these young kids now. You know, or it, it, for them, you know, at least they you can give them a hug, you can give them a meal pack, you can give them some mana pack from Feed My Starving Children. Um, you can just a word of encouragement because I can't say everything's going to be okay. Just hang in there because that's mm-hmm. not likely. No, true. yeah, but. Just know that you know i love you jesus loves you we care about you we're praying for you and prayer means a lot to swazis because they do believe in the power of prayer they because they don't have the hospital to trust in you know yeah. they have cancer they can't wait to look for the the best cancer doctor they have to look to jesus i have to take the weather break for just a second and we'll be right back we're not gonna go right back on air but we'll continue our facebook combo oh it's a warm one in the heartland kids High of about 92 today, uh, heat index getting up to about 100, so be careful out there. Drink lots of water, stay hydrated, please. Tonight, a low of about 72 overnight, and then tomorrow, sunny skies, slight chance of showers in the afternoon, high tomorrow of about 90. We'll be back with Janine Maxwell in just a little bit more for another Humans in Tune segment. Right now, we're going to give you some Phil Collins. Phil Collins, you say? Yes. Phil Collins. Yeah, he's not a bad guy. Pretty decent drummer. Who doesn't love Phil Collins? Guys from South Park. I don't think they liked Phil Collins at all. I don't know. They, they had it out for him in the early days. Oh, uh, well, uh, what do they know? Well, you know, and again, um, the uh, hopelessness is, is where we kind of left that conversation. Nice segue, Darren. And uh, then we talked about our cruddy weather in Southeast Missouri. Uh, but we don't want to be hopeless about weather. Yeah. And, and weather... <laughs> Yeah, you know, we hate Swamp East Missouri. We we hate our summers. Gross, humid, gross, nasty, whatever. Heat index about 108 yesterday. Blech. But we we uh, don't have the droughts. We don't have those things. So we're thankful for that. Um, but I didn't want to leave that chunk just hanging on hopelessness because hope is kind of the whole gist of everything you're doing. Um, yeah. It's on the title of the book for a reason, kids. Uh, it's on her shirt for a reason, kids. <laughs> <laughs> hope lives here hope lives here and i think that obviously the title epitomizes project canaan the title epitomizes heart for africa's mission because that is what it is whether you know whether it's a baby that was found in a pit latrine or whether it's a woman who you know you were able to bring into the fold so to speak and educate and give her a sense of purpose um the gender equality is insane it's it's to talk about it is frustrating enough, but it's 
it's terrible because and, and what it causes is this disparaging situation and women are just essentially trashed um for whatever the man wants it, yeah, it, we, women are property there yeah but they can't own property they can't own a piece of land right. which is very very heartbreaking so if you're in an abusive situation you can't go and try to get your own piece of land. Yeah. And in 2019, we got our first domestic violence law passed. So that's a good sign. That's a huge that. step. But it's 2019. You know? Yeah. Up then, it was okay to beat your, beat or rape your wife. Yeah. And, and you know, some of the things that, you know, husband dies. Guess what? This guy, you know, the his brother wants to move in, kick the family off the land. It's my place. Sorry. You're out. Okay. And and, and, where she go? and where that's she just go? accepted. Yeah. And yeah. she, she probably can't work because there's no work and where is she going to live? And then what she ends up doing is finding a man who's, who will have sex with her and take her in, but her children aren't allowed to go to his place. So then the children become homeless. And it's just a vicious, vicious circle that, uh, I mean, I just, you know, so there's days that I just go in, sit in my room and cry and then, you know, turn on some sort of crazy junk TV to, pull my mind out of it. And then you wake up the next day, you know, I read my Bible, I do my devotion. They're like, okay, you know, game on, let's, we can do this. And mm -hmm. uh, some, some days are a lot harder than others though. Oh, for sure. I mean, but uh, again, you're not doing it alone, you know? No. Uh, and that's, that's the power of your faith. And that's the power of your team uh, to be able to, to get you through those dark patches and golly, I can't, I don't even, I, I, I rarely will say I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about some of the dark spots you've been in. And I've read your stories and I know some of the, the terrible things that you've, you've just had to experience, uh, in what you've done and in your work and to be able to not shake that off, but be able to take that, absorb that, learn from that and create hope, create opportunity from that. That's just awesome. And I applaud you for that immensely. Um, Thank you. I don't know if I'm that strong. You know what I mean? Like when people look at uh, testing themselves, that's that's an incredible test. I, I got to be honest. I would probably I've pictured myself in like a like a special ops position for you guys where I because I don't think my my dad anger could handle it. I would I don't know. You would have to tie me down. I would be down chasing guys and, and doing that. Well, I have a young girl who's living on the farm right now who will probably hear this uh, recording. And she was being raped by her biological father for five years. He gave her HIV and then she ended up getting pregnant. And we we helped her just this year. She had a baby and the baby's come to us. But we've been able to help her as well and get her physically healed, emotionally healed, healed spiritually healed. And now she's she's a rock star. And That's awesome. It doesn't always end up in a happy way that way. But she's just absolutely spectacular. We're just so mm -hmm. very proud of her. And you know who you are. That's right. And it's so important to celebrate those joys. Yeah. I mean, every single one of those victories is an absolute reason to have a big party. Um, yeah. because that's, that's, that's what your goal is. That's your goal is those victories, those hope, those magical right. moments. Yeah. We'll jump back on the air here in about five minutes ish. Well, no, we're going to do it in about a minute and a half because if I wait that long, we're going to go past the top of the hour. So, um, here in about a minute 20 and what I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the opportunities you provided, like through the Kutsula artisans and so forth. I'd like to touch a little bit on that because I think that accentuates the hope beyond saving these kids and raising up ideally a new generation that will be able to seed into Swaziland and in the Eswatini and turn the country around, you know, hopefully. And lots of people in Cape have our ornaments. They do. I do. Uh, I was going to bring them with me today, and I left it sitting on my bookshelf when I left the house. felt like such a dirt. I was like, man, had it sitting right there. I was going to be all cool and be like, yeah, oh, I got yeah. my OG angel ornament, suckers. What do you think? Yeah, but I forgot. Sure we have a dove. 
you know, peace, unity, just thought that would be the right, the right angle for 2021. Nice. Yeah. Oh God, we need it. We most definitely need it. All right. Well, about 30 seconds. Um, and while we're, you're joining me here on Facebook, of course, please go, uh, heartforafrica.org, go read about it. But I want you to go and read more about Hope Lives Here, guys, because, and, and you can borrow my copy of this book if you donate to Heart for Africa first. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> or get your own copy, but it's, uh, follow me on Facebook. We, we do lots of social media. Yep. All right. Let's get a little humans in tune back on. It's time for Humans in Tune with Darren Bergfeld on 93.9 The River. And we are back for segment two of Humans in Tune. Janine Maxwell is my guest today. Janine is co-founder of Heart for Africa. We've been talking on our Facebook Live as well. You can join us over there if you've got any comments that you want to share. But um, we're talking about the new book, Hope Lives Here, where we're talking about Project Canaan, uh, the wonderful work that you're doing through Heart for Africa, that your people are doing to educate uh, and to follow the acronym of hope that you created hunger orphans poverty and uh education and that's the title of the book hope lives here and one of the things that you're doing uh with people in swaziland is you're empowering them by educating them by employing them as well and in our early start to this was the the beaded christmas ornaments and i kind of came into these about the time you guys started doing them and i was like this is such a cool thing look i got this cool bead handmade beaded ornament and deal um but it's more than just here's a cool trinket that helps raise some money if you want to speak a little bit to uh that piece of things sure we call it kutsala artisan so kutsala is k-h-u-t-s-a-l-a and it means hardworking in saswati and it's that we make beautiful handcrafted bead craft. The Christmas ornament is what we're most proud of and we sell the most of. And I know lots of our Christmas ornaments are um, hang on the trees in Cape Girardeau and our friends there. This year's ornament, we're going to be releasing in about a week's time, but I'm going to tell your people first. It is a dove and it is spectacular. It's three-dimensional. And I just think we all really need peace and unity this year. So that's why we thought the dove was the right answer. And so people can go to kuzala.com and shop. Um, Christmas gifts. We have beautiful woodcraft, lots and lots of things that they can purchase there. That's awesome. And yeah, you'll be able to find that link. I'll throw that up on our website at 939river.com a little bit later and you can find it there. And you guys have made a lot of cool ornaments. You know, uh, I believe you did a full nativity set, right? At one point. Nativity set. We've got Noah's Ark. We have charcuterie boards. We know those are really popular right now. So we actually have bloodwood trees from our farm that we cut down. We make them ourselves and we plant more trees so that uh, we're being responsible for the future. But uh, yeah, lots and lots of really cool um, artisans work. That's awesome. And yeah, and, and all of that, again, uh, you know, your women are empowered to do this, to create this, to to feel a sense of purpose within the community besides just, you know, helping with the kids or whatever may be going on. It gives them a mission to know that what they're doing, their work that they're doing is going to help sustain uh, that hope moving forward as well. And, and feed their kids and then 100 percent of the profit comes back to care for our orphans yeah exactly yep 100 percent. and you're also educating you know you're teaching uh carpentry skills you're teaching mechanic skills uh things like that that you know the men of the community and the women of the community can learn these skills and be able to take them you know outside of the gates to to hopefully help themselves and their and their families that's right yeah um before hope lives here you did a couple other books uh it's not okay with me and is it okay with you and those books um you know again we could talk for hours about the books um i encourage you to go read those but this new book uh in a a way is almost a, a primer to here's how we started 
here's how we've grown, here's where we are, and here is the core of our mission, where we're moving forward, and and why hope lives here, and why that will continue to be. Um, it's not like you know, hey, do you want to go start a mission in Africa? Here's your how-to book, like by Janine, you know, step one. <laughs> Buy some friends. Step two, find a guy with a million dollar check. You know, step three, consider it twice. Uh, (laughs) But it does paint a picture of the, the amount of effort, the amount of strength of heart and strength of faith and strength of spirit that it takes to do something like this. And really just shows that there's so much that comes together to, to make it as successful as it is. And when you look at the grand scheme of the effect you're making, you know, it is a drop in the bucket. There's still so much more work to be done uh, just in that tiny little country. Yeah. But you're doing the wonderful work every day. I guess the heart and soul of Heart for Africa is hope, right? That's that's kind of the, the base on everything. It is. And, and building a generation of children who will be the future of the nation and perhaps the whole continent. It's and- cha- we're changing a nation. That's it. It's absolutely it. And, um, you know, without sounding cheesy, it's really you think of it as, hey, you're going to you want to empower your children to go out there and be the new leaders of the new society. And if you're sincere about that, you're going to pour into them. And that's what Janine and Ian and Amber and Kenny and all these wonderful people that work at Project Canaan are doing every day. They're pouring themselves in because they want and they didn't even grow up in the country. How about that? They want that country, that continent to be as beautiful as it possibly can, to be full of people with opportunities across the across the, the plane of existence. It's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to take years, um, but it but it's awesome. been years. And look at how much you've done. It's just awesome. You know, the kids growing up in Cape Girardeau, the kids growing up, you know, nowadays in America and in Canada and around the world are going to be adults when our children are adults. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a global playing field. And if we still have problems in Eswatini, those problems are American problems. So this is a great way to start young start early but it definitely is a long game it's a long investment this isn't over tomorrow absolutely yeah it is not over tomorrow and yeah if you're interested in knowing more if you're interested in helping out uh heartforafrica.org is the website where can they go to get the book today janine um they can go to kutsala.com or they can order it on amazon Uh, amazon is a little bit uh, delayed in delivering as everything else in the world right now is being delayed but they'll be shipping, I think, September 9th, so they can pre-order on Amazon or get it through our Kutsala or Heart for Africa webpage. And Darren, I want to let you know that Kenny and Amber are listening live from Eswatini, Africa. I just got a message from them. Awesome. You. That is fantastic. Hi, guys. We miss you. I'll go out and have a cheeseburger later and thank you, guys. Jeannie, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate you so much uh, taking this time with me today thank here you. on air. River listeners, again, uh, we'll be wrapping up our Facebook Live here shortly. You can catch it. If you missed the first segment, it'll be on our podcast later today, and you can find all the details at 939river.com. Janine Maxwell, co-founder of Heart for Africa, author of Hope Lives Here. Janine, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We love you, Cape Girardeau. And Cape Girardeau loves you, too. We're going to spin some more tunes. We've got to pay a couple of bills. We'll be right back. And the Totally 90s Lunch is just around the corner. Stick around. It's 93.9 The River. Okay. Totally nineties lunch. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's my fun my fun noon to one time. And today, Fridays is the blue plate special. Today is love songs. So we're going for the awkward slow dances and the the terrible mixtapes I created in high school. That's my angle today. Really glad that uh, I'm not I'm past that stage of life. I have a photo from my senior year of my girlfriend and I at the time that I'm debating putting on Facebook just to throw out for the love songs today, but 
She and I did not get married. We're still friends, though. She probably wouldn't appreciate it. That's all right. Yeah, probably not. Maybe your wife wouldn't either. Who knows? You know. No. <laughs> she. If 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 my wife Carrie can tolerate everything up to this point, we're in good shape. Well, that's true. That's, that's it. True. But we all need someone who tolerates us. That's it. Um. Thank you so much for sending me the book. I like I said, I'm gonna. Whoops. I'm gonna finish this this weekend. I'm halfway there, kids, and uh, and I'm gonna make sure you guys are reading this too. Um. You know, I'm going to send you Hope, Hope Lives Here t-shirt as well. That's awesome. I appreciate it. And I will wear it. I'll wear it on the next Facebook Live and we'll we'll show awesome. it off. That's fantastic. Nice. I appreciate that. Janine, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Um, I sincerely I'm appreciate it. On Monday. So uh, the last couple of days, had McDonald's for breakfast. You know, those last couple of hits of food. Get that little bit of American in you. A little bit of American food. And I'll have one for you too, Kenny. <laughs> no doubt. All right, folks. Well, thanks for joining Janine and I on our Facebook Live here on 93.9 The River. Um, You will be able to watch this again. It will stay evergreen on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 939river. And we'll do another Humans and Tunes segment very soon, so stick around for that, Facebook friends. Have a fantastic Friday, and we will see you soon.